0: Signal for the month of July, the podcast from the Media Net, the Church and Media Network. Hope you are doing well. I'm your host, James Poulter. Coming up in the show today, we will be looking at the role of the local parish priest in the media with an interview that I have later on in the show with Liz Clutterbuck, who will be joining us later in the year at the Church and Media Conference. We got started this month talking around the role of the parish priest, the role of prayer in the media, of which she'll be joining a panel about at the conference, and we we also spoke about the role of protests as well when it comes to the clergy.
2: I really wanted to make a statement that, you know, as a Christian, I do not agree with what's been happening there. As well as that, we've got some prayers coming
0: up at the end of the show from uh, the lovely Tim Lavelle from BBC Radio 5 Live, and I am joined in the studio by my good pal, Mr Sam Hales. Okay, well, let's get into it for the month of July, and Sam, welcome back. Hello. Hello. Welcome back, nice to have you back in the studio Nice to be back in the studio together Had a little break over the summer Have you had a good summer so far? I've had a wonderful summer Hasn't this weather been incredible? That's a matter of opinion. Um, Well, I think it has been incredible, but it's been incredibly hot. It is now
1: officially too hot. I would agree with that. For those
0: of you listening outside of the UK, you may have heard that certain parts of Britain have just basically melted into a molten pool of tarmac and steel um, as basically all public transport grinds to a halt in our inability to deal with temperatures that are slightly inclement to the usual uh, mediocrity of the British weather. But, you know, it would be terribly British of us to continue You on about that. So let's leave that behind and talk about what we've got coming up in the show. Uh, We're going to go through some of the media stories that have been making the headlines over the past few weeks, uh, over the summer period. Often a silly season, but it doesn't really feel like that's really tapped in quite yet. We've still got August, there's still a chance that it could get silly, but right now it feels quite serious, actually. A lot going on out there in the world to be uh, paying attention to, not least visits from American presidents, disruption across the Middle East, and many other things besides. So we'll be getting into all of that. As I mentioned later on on the show, also we're going to be talking about the role that the local kind of parish priest has in this. Yeah, uh, Sam, you've interviewed a lot of these people over the time, serving members of the clergy. Anyone that strikes you as being the kind of people that you look to as kind of the typical picture of what it looks like to do uh, being a kind of parish priest or a, or a local minister in some fashion well in the media?
1: Wow. Well, the most well known, I would argue, is probably Reverend Richard Coles, just because he is in the media so, so much. And he just had a fascinating conversation with. Darren Brown recently my colleague uh, Justin Brawley is well worth watching um, I thought it was actually a really good example of Christian and atheist kind of discussion and dialogue and I think increasingly in, in our world we're finding it hard all of us I think to, um, to to sort of move away from the shouting that goes on on social media and sit down and have a proper conversation about things that really matter so uh, yeah Darren Brown and Reverend Richard Coles conversation was good but I think the answer to that question really is there is no such thing as a typical parish priest I mean you know the Church of England has always been a broad church um, um, but if you just look at the kinds of people doing that kind of ministry, I would argue it's quite broad. If I had one critique, I would say that still I think we've got a bit of a class problem um, in that you you could argue we need more people from more working class backgrounds in that kind of ministry. Um, but generally... I think there's no typical parish priest anymore.
0: Well Liz and I get into that discussion later on in the show. We also talked about the role of women in leadership and diversity as well in terms of representing the church well when it comes to the media and how she deals with sometimes being asked difficult questions when going in for interviews just because she's wearing a dog collar. So that's coming up in a little while but let's get into some of the news stories that have been making the headlines in recent weeks. And we're going to start off with uh, one of the more entertainment end but is now really bleeding over into particular popular culture discussion and even into politics which is the new show by Sasha Baron Cohen now if you are unfamiliar with his work i'd be i'd be surprised at this point but for those of you who need that prompt Sasha Baron Cohen most famously probably known for movies like Borat and his characters uh, from those shows and obviously Ali G the white rapper of the late 90s early 2000s a satirist um, by his own admission and is coming back now with a new show called Who is America? A series of broadcast, live, mixed interviews uh, across YouTube and other platforms where he is using a number of different characters that he has created to go and create satirical um, looks at the popular American culture, in particularly the Gun Lobby, which has been probably one of the most controversial and most widely reported on uh, films that he's made quite recently, the first episode of Who is America, which we'll get into. Sam, you've been uh, watching a few of these. What's your general reaction to uh, this new show Who is America by Sasha Baron Cohen?
1: So I haven't really watched much of Sasha Baron Cohen's work in the past. I've kind of been put off it perhaps by quite some other Christians who say this isn't really something Christians should be watching. And I would say, having watched uh, all of Who Is America so far, I find parts of it, yeah, very uncomfortable parts of it. I, I kind of feel uncomfortable watching as a Christian because it is, frankly, disgusting. But <laughs> other parts of it are really superb, and I would go as far to say the best satire I've seen in a long time, possibly ever. The, the segment I'm really referring to is the bit about guns where he basically um, uh, convinces people to sit down for, for interviews who are gun lobbyists, and he yeah, poses, right. as this, poses as this Israeli Mossad kind of agent who um, says that, oh, in Israel, what we've done is we've taught kids in schools how to use guns to defend themselves, and this is what you should be doing in America. And incredibly, rather than calling this out and saying this must be some sort of practical joke, these American politicians say, this sounds like a great idea. I'll help you make an instructional video for kids on how to use weapons, kids as young as three or four. Now, when he's targeting powerful people like American politicians in that way, I think that's satire at its best. Where he's going after kind of celebrities who haven't really done anything
0: wrong, and he's just poking fun at them for the sake of it, I have more kind of ethical questions I guess. Absolutely. In the first episode of the show, he uh, interviews a, a man called Philip Van Cleve. He's a gun rights activist uh, in the US, obviously a part of the NRA and the overall gun lobby. And uh, whatever your opinion is on that, it what comes out quite strikingly from it is the ability for uh, Sasha to be able to kind of manipulate that situation um, to such an extent that he actually gets this guy to go along and create a kind of guns for kids video, which is quite astonishing thing to watch actually and goes to the heart of some of the issues that we all are familiar with when it comes to the gun lobby in the US at the moment. And this has really ruffled some feathers across the political spectrum. Uh, Sarah Palin, obviously the uh, Tea Party activist and previous uh, presidential candidate uh, came out this week saying that this was evil, exploitative, and sick. Um, in response to the way in which uh, Sacha Baron Cohen has conducted himself, whereas a number of others have obviously said, "Oh well, this is actually really uh, good for us." It, you know, it's good that he has created this dialogue amongst popular culture. Um, but you know, a number of places, for example, Ted Koppel, one of the um, uh, yeah, kind of more, I suppose, left-leaning uh, politicians that is in this debate, it says, I felt sorry for the guy, which we're o- is obviously how we're all supposed to feel. So it's an interesting kind of mm. mixture between, he does poke the bear quite heavily yes. on this one. and
1: I think he does tend to really go after the right wing, America. Um, there are one or two glimpses where he, feel, I feel like he's satiring parts of the kind of far left, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think that actually where you're just going after one end of the political spectrum with your satire all the time i'm not surprised that some americans frankly just switch off and say this isn't for me i think that the most clever satire surely is where you attack both ends of both extreme ends um and then that way people don't feel like they're being picked on but they feel like actually you are saying something in and you're speaking to the polarity that exists and and trying to sort of call that out
0: that's right and um, the thing i was a little bit concerned with i suppose just watching that first episode um has been yeah, you know, I've just been in America this week, and I've seen you know kind of a, a number of dialogues. I was I was in New York and, and New Jersey, so you know obviously predominantly a kind of um, you know democratic state, uh, you know kind of more uh, you know left leaning in general. Obviously, the home of things like the New York Times, which obviously has been a massive critic of uh, both the NRA, the gun lobby, and obviously the Trump administration. But also Trump's hometown, and so you do see both ends of the spectrum played out on the streets. And you know, where uh, you know this kind of thing came up in conversation was quite interesting was around that you know yeah he is you know really kind of pushing people he's putting that kind of satire that we we can sit here and laugh at perhaps being one step removed from it from being outside of the US but when you're in that culture you know guns are a part of the the rhetoric it's part of people's experience day to day you see policemen walking around you see the army uh, you know kind of walking around with with a heavily kind of loaded weaponry and so you know that it's part of the fabric of the kind of American society but what he also does is push these people to the point where I almost worry that he's either reinforcing their thoughts about the left in particular, um, or he's actually, you know, kind of potentially putting himself and others in danger of, you know, kind of sparking some real controversy amongst those people. You know, is it okay to do that? You know, should he, is this a good thing to be doing? It it was my worry. It's a really good question. My answer to, is it a good thing? Is it, for me,
1: it depends on which segment of which episode you're watching. And for me, there's a, there's a massive variety. And one thing that I'd encourage people to do, which I've, I've been doing and have found helpful is to Google the uh, response from the people featured and sometimes when you google what people said afterwards sometimes they just say oh I hold my hands up he got me but sometimes they say well actually here's the context of how he got me and he locked me in a room took away my mobile phone took away my manager this is one celebrity speaking Um, the camera crew pretended they couldn't speak English so when I raised concerns saying I think this is really bad please help me get out of here they pretended they couldn't speak English Um, and you think "Mm, ethically I'm not sure I'm that comfortable with with some of this so there's always two obviously I'm a journalist I would say this but there's two sides to every story and I think some of the people he's targeted it for me it's felt unfair but just very quickly as an aside James because you mentioned very briefly you've been in America and I feel it's only appropriate we pay tribute that uh, to your current situation which is that you got off a transatlantic <laughs> flight what hours ago and your uh, dedication to the cause
0: a few, few hours ago for yes. coming
1: straight in here and that's the reason James is sounding slightly croaky but yeah, I want to commend you for your dedication to the cause is incredible
0: <laughs> I appreciate that no it's uh, yes I apologies for the audio quality of one's voice this time around folks uh, I have a uh, very little sleep Uh, but uh, But you're still making sense but I'm still somewhat coherent we'll see how we uh, (laughs) fare by the end of the show so yeah we'd love your opinions please let us know your thoughts on this subject and around the whole topic of how do we handle satire um, via Twitter you can do that on at the MediaNet on Twitter you can use the hashtag signal to get in touch with the show you can also join the Facebook group Christians in the Media UK you can find that if you just go give that a quick search on Facebook as well and obviously find all the information about how to get in touch with the show over on the medianet website. Okay, coming up in a second a couple more stories, but first here are some of our notices for the month of July, things that you need to be knowing about. And Sam, you've got some of the information here about what's coming up about the conference, if I'm right in saying.
1: That's right. The early bird discount on the Medianet conference is ending on the 31st of July. So, uh you need to book in quick basically if
0: you want to come to the Medianet conference. That's right, yeah, coming up in a couple of days' time. Obviously, you'll still be able to get tickets after that, but they are going fast. We've got some amazing people being lined up for the conference, and you can get all the information about that over at themedianet.org. So if you need to check that out, uh, that's good. We've also got something coming up for those of you that are based in London or the southeast, which we know, obviously, many of you are listening in, as you let us know, is that we're starting a new monthly meet-up for those based in the area or anyone that's visiting town uh, during the time. It'll be a casual kind of drinks and networking opportunity hosted in the Tog Studios uh, from Tim Plimming. Those of you that heard uh, Tim's interview in the last month's episode, uh, the first one is going to be kicking off on the 10th of September there'll be a tour of Tog Studios with Tim at 6pm which is just over in Lagan Place across from uh, BBC Broadcasting House if you know where that is and then there'll be some uh, drinks reception afterwards. So if you would like to get in on that you can find out in the newsletter uh, which can be winging its way to you. If you're not a member of the newsletter sign up on themedianet.org and you can also check out social pages to rsvp for that as well so those things coming up conferences and drinks receptions all good things okay we'll be back in one second with more stories that we should be looking at this month on signal so Sam, second story that we wanted to pay attention to is really the reaction to some of the controversy that has been rolling on since Facebook has been announcing its last quarter's earnings. It lost 120 billion dollars in market value in less than two hours on Wednesday, the 25th. That's uh, the, the, this week, the recording, which is somewhat astonishing uh, in terms of its you know, kind of market cap. Obviously, I'm sure many of that will be uh, recovered, but that's a 23% fall in uh, after-hours tra- trading. Um, which is, you know, one of the kind of biggest declines in its stock value um, during its entire history, and this is all off of the back of you know, reports, obviously from Cambridge Analytica and from the, the fallout of this. Do you, do you think that the rhetoric is changing? Do, we've had a lot of people kind of having this. I'm coming off a of Facebook mm. backlash. Do you see it actually bedding into real behaviour?
1: Wow, it's a really good question, and I kind of want to throw it back to you, James. (laughs) Do we have any stats on how many people have actually come off
0: Facebook? No, not particularly. In fact, actually, Facebook's numbers seems to have actually grown over that time. So they're still hiring, and they are still also uh, increasing user numbers. But that predominantly is in markets outside of Western markets.
1: I think it's the kind of thing, it is is becoming popular to sort of declare, that's it, I'm coming off. And you think, do people actually do it, Um, or are they switching off for a week, or Month at a time. I think that's currently more likely. I think I think to completely give it up. Um, <sighs> I mean, I I go back. This is kind of ancient history now, but I go back to just before I was going off to university, and my best friend at kind of school and college didn't have Facebook, and this was a time where really most people had it my age. And I said to him, "Look, Rich, before you before you go to university, get on Facebook." And he was kind of skeptical. "Oh, what's the point? I don't need it in my life." I was like, "No, trust me, you need it." And it was really (laughs) interesting that I think six months later he'd gone off to uni and he had got Facebook, and he came back to me and he said to me in person, "He's like Sam, thank you so much for telling him to get Facebook." And he kind of couldn't imagine his university life experience without having that because obviously all the event invitations. To parties or the opportunity to kind of meet new people and hook up with them on Facebook and kind of retain a relationship that yeah. way. And I just think it's become such a huge part of our lives that to give it up is, is kind of one step too far. But what I find fascinating is Facebook's kind of advertising campaign you would have seen recently of putting up ads on bus stops and in newspapers right. saying, you know, we're against fake news too. Um, and their announcement that you're going to see less content from pages in, in your newsfeed, and instead, you're going to see more photos. And it's this nostalgia thing of let's take it back to a bit like my friend Rich at university where Facebook really was where people created events. It really was where you saw people's photos. It was a social platform and not a kind of political campaigning platform where we all argue about fake
0: news and Donald Trump. That's right. And it's quite interesting. This week, um, Zuckerberg uh, did an interview with Kara Swisher from Recode, um, the the technology uh, news uh, site over in the US for the Recode Decode podcast. I recommend guys going and checking that out if you haven't listened to the interview. And what was really interesting was he was talking about the reorientation of what Facebook's mandate is away from just being about so heavily related to news and the news feed and re-establishing particularly an emphasis on things like groups and community pages. And he was citing that the reason that that is becoming such an important actual utility of what Facebook does is because of actually the decline in churches, the decline in community groups, the decline in you know kind of things like pub communities and you know kind of local community housing and all that kind of activity is that people are finding these these groups and sense of you know, collective identity, whether it's because you've got a I don't know perhaps suffering from an illness and you're looking for a community of interest maybe you're you know, a religious group and you're looking for others that are you know similar faith based um, to you but that's where they see a pivot back towards this so there does seem to be a rebalancing with inside the company both in terms of the external um, advertising push that you're mentioning I mean you look at the numbers though I mean it's it's still something that is uh, somewhat kind of hard to grasp when you hear these numbers if you just scroll back through uh, Facebook this is obviously obviously obviously, all Facebook's own data. But, you know, at time of recording and June 30th, they report 2.23 billion monthly active users. Now, you know, just compare that back, uh, you know, kind of over 12 months ago, and it was it was less than 2 billion. So that increase continues to just go and go. One thing that we are seeing, though, it might be that people there is a campaign now started in the UK, the Royal Society for Public Health, which is advocating for something that called Scroll Free September, targeting the use of social media and it's an opportunity as they say to take back control of our relationship with social media for the billions uh, sorry the millions of Britons for whom uh, social media plays a large and possibly unhealthy uh, role in their lives do you think that something like this might be as easy to bed down as things like dry January and November Sam? Uh,
1: Well apparently there's a dry January kind of idea in September or October now as well and I can't keep up with which month we're supposed to be giving up what things (laughs) but I think the the principle um, is a really good one I think I've advocated for it before on this show not a whole month but only a week I find I can um, and again I feel embarrassed to admit it's only one week in a year because it's not much let's face it but for one week and every year I will completely switch off and not look at social media should it be a month yeah perhaps but you know I can't give up my job for a month unfortunately and my job requires me to be on social media and I think most of us work in the media there's probably a social element to what we do in terms of our job so I think for me at least a week is doable a month is not
0: yeah and I think it's quite interesting the reasoning that they're putting behind this if you dig into um, the Royal Society for Public Healthy are the ones who are advocating this idea of um, scroll through September. They cite a couple of different interesting stats. One, they say 91% of 16 to 24 year olds use the internet for social networking. That doesn't seem particularly surprising. They then go to 70% um, in that same age bracket. There is uh, The rate of anxiety and depression have increased 70% in the past 25 years. Now, you could obviously track those two things together, but actually well, social networking hasn't been around For 25 years for one, and many other things have happened. So I do worry that sometimes there is a conflation between the rates of anxiety and the rates of depression and obviously teen suicide, many other things. We know that there is some correlation between these two things. I think it is quite hard to make the absolute definitive uh, definitive statement that there is causation between those mm. two things because we've seen so much of modern life change at the same yeah. time
1: Yeah, I think depression is quite as you say, or certainly suicide, a very extreme thing to jump to because of social media, for me I worry about smaller scale things, for me it's more about attention spans and how it's more difficult to read a book now than it was even 10 or 20 years ago you know, the, the distraction thing um, and don't get me wrong I think we should be concerned about online bullying, for example but but even I kind of want to say something similar to what you just said about depression because the thing with online bullying I always think is of course it's wrong don't you know never say anything else at the same time bullying has always happened and sadly I think will always happen and just because there's a new platform of Facebook or Snapchat to, to bully people you know it doesn't doesn't change the fact that that still happened. Now, okay. The difference now mm. is yes, okay. You're carrying a phone the whole time, and so you can be bullied constantly. I, I appreciate that is different. But again, rather than just saying, oh, depression is going up, it's all social media's fault, or oh, isn't bullying terrible? We must do away with Snapchat. You know, it's it's too simplistic for, yeah.
0: for my life. I mean, cyberbullying is quite an interesting one. According to the same stats there from the Royal Society for Public Health, uh, seven in ten young people have experienced some form of cyberbullying. So, you know, there is clearly a problem there. Fifty-six yeah. percent of young people but say always, they're likely but, to quit social well, media. Well, even that,
1: seven in ten people have experienced cyberbullying, how many kids have experienced non-cyberbullying? Yes. I would I would argue it's probably the same figure.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right to highlight some of those other issues as well, right? So there's also this thing here, one in five young people wake in the night to check messages on mm. social media. Now, whether or not they're waking up and then checking them or they're waking up to check them, I think is probably something that needs to be looked at. <laughs> I know that I've been guilty of doing both. So, yeah, it's not unheard of, and certainly when I was on the wrong time zone this week, I was doing that more often than I probably should have done as t- well. That's
1: the fascinating thing I find when I go to America and you're on the wrong, the wrong time zone, you can tell which of your friends back home are doing as you say in the middle of the night scrolling through Facebook maybe because they can't sleep all over, because they start liking stuff and you're thinking it's 3am in the UK and they're liking my posts. they should be asleep in
0: bed. Absolutely, well according to Shirley Kramer who's the Chief Executive of the Royal Society of Public Health, she said the aim is that by the end of the month we'll be able to reflect back on what we've missed and what we got to enjoy instead of scrolling through our news feeds. But she also adds of course we know that this will be a challenge because of the addictive nature of social media technology Um, and I think that that is Mm. this kind of interesting point there is a growing momentum behind this idea about challenging the addictive uh, addiction forming habits uh, that are built into many of these tools so we'll see whether or not scroll free September is something that weans all of us off of our social media one person that I can tell you that is not trying to wean herself off of social media is our guest on this month's episode which is Liz Clutterbuck, Liz is a long time friend of ours um, and also a new um, clerk Clergy member was well, heading off to look after her own congregation um, now that she's finished her curacy should I say um, in the coming weeks and months I caught up with her last week uh, before I jetted off to be on another continent and be very tired uh, to talk about the idea of what it looks like to be a clergy member in the media. Liz has got a lot of experience in this, having worked in the media uh, industry for the Church of England in an official capacity before being a member of the clergy herself, and has subsequently found herself in the spotlight, both on things like Sky News, in various different interviews for Radio 4, and has you know become a part of maybe one of the number of people that you'll regularly see the Church of, media, uh, the Church of England putting forward as a media spokesperson. She's obviously also a female member of the clergy, which came up in our discussion. And we also talked about the recent protests that have been going on against the Trump administration in the UK, of which she also took part. So coming up now on Signal, here is Liz Clutterbuck, my interview with her from last week.
2: I'm Liz Clutterbuck, and I'm a curate at Christchurch Highbury which is a church in North London I've been there for three years since I was ordained in 2015 and I'm also a part-time freelance researcher researching things to do with uh, church impact and church growth
0: and so Liz we've known of one another and known one another for quite a long time but we haven't seen you in a little while so in between you know you're starting your curacy and now you've also been doing a lot of stuff in the media you've had a presence you've been kind of I've seen you popping up on things like the breakfast on BBC and sky and things like that what, where has that kind of come about from? Where did this your first encounter I suppose with being a, a future clergy member or I suppose could you call yourself a clergy member now?
2: Yes. 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 Is that official? Yes. No definitely clergy. <laughs> definitely been clergy for three
0: years. But in the media?
2: In the media. So I guess really it comes from social media. So I first did uh, media stuff on behalf of the Church of England when I was an ordinate, when I was training for ordination at St Melitus and uh, I somehow... I can't even remember quite how it happened, got known by the media team at the Church of England as somebody who had started training for ordination at the um, the miracle age of being under 30. <laughs> and so I went in and did some work uh, with local radio stations on the BBC um, about that. Um, That's probably the first bit of media stuff I did for the church. I think prior to that, I'd sort of done odd bits and pieces of local radio and and things like that. But I think Twitter was the way in which I formed relationships mm with um, different organisations and different people. Um, Alongside that, I'd actually done some work with Tear Fund that was a social media project. So I'd been invited to go to Uganda with two other Christian bloggers. I was blogging and and tweeting. And um, so that was another way in which I guess I became known as somebody who was a communicator.
0: Where did your interest in social media in particular come from? Have you always been a kind of technology person or did was there some inciting incident that got you excited about that?
2: No, uh, I actually for ages refused to join Twitter. And then in 2010, I was doing, intentionally doing things for the first time. I had a list of things I wanted to do for the first time. And uh, joining Twitter in January 2010 was one of the things. Um, But it turned out to be sort of my place. I found a lot of people that I got on well with. I enjoyed making new relationships with people. And very quickly, I started to see how it was a really good place in which to communicate and build relationships. Uh, And then I guess I then started thinking about it a bit more theologically and a bit more intentionally. And uh, within 18 months I started theological college and by that point I already had quite a clear understanding of how I was using Twitter mm. in terms of my faith and uh, my role in the church.
0: Most people's experience of Twitter is quite varied <laughs> <laughs> um, and particularly I suppose it would be you know my assumption would be that being a white female member of the clergy <laughs> publicly putting herself out there into the world that that can sometimes not always go to plan perhaps have you had any experience of that so far
2: yeah i mean luckily i've actually come off quite lightly um so compared to some people with a really strong profile or people who really put themselves out there on particular issues um i'm some i sort of made a decision a few years ago about the issues i was willing to raise my head above the parapet for and one of those was the issue of women in leadership in the church But I guess my most negative experience has probably been when I've had the highest exposure to people. So um, around the time I was ordained three years ago, uh, there was a a sort of an odd thing that happened with a BBC radio program where I was featured on that, and I remember getting tweets from people suggesting that I was brainwashing them because I was a Christian, and um, that uh, you know why should the church have such a high profile in society? But it was really only a tiny number of incidents, and not anything that got particularly personal and my policy was just sort of blocking them and, and moving on and not really engaging. I'm really impressed with people like Kate Botley who do engage and you know do so often in quite a prayerful way mm. um, but I think there's that balance between just who is just a troll and is just seeking to get attention and who is you know genuinely wanting to have a conversation about difference mm. in views.
0: When you go into um, radio interviews or TV interviews I've seen you a couple a couple of the times dog collared up sometimes mm-hmm. I assume not Do you find that when you are brought in for those kind of things, that you maybe are treated in a different kind of way by the journalists that you encounter than maybe their other guests on their shows, just purely because they know that you are a member of the church and that you're you're you know kind of a clergy member at the moment?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So there are a few occasions when I deliberately dog collar up uh, so that people know (laughs) stick on the uniform, yeah, yeah, that it's part of my identity. So for TV, I would always do that because well particularly if i'm speaking on behalf of the church of england um, which quite often is is how i get into those positions because it's important for people to see that that's who i am and i think especially as a woman and women still being a minority i mean we're not actually a minority in the church but Mm. in people's understanding of who a vicar is they're normally going to think of a middle-aged man yeah um, what I'm fascinated by is, is the response that I get it tends to be less the people who are interviewing me and more the other staff around them so if I go into the BBC mm. I often have really interesting conversations with the producers who are then like taking me down because they've just got a lot of questions and they often do not know very much about the Church of England um, the last time I went to the BBC I ended up having a conversation about why people eat fish on Fridays with the guy who was showing me out of the door but again it was just things that came up because of what I was working Wearing.
0: Yeah, Do you find that people are maybe more willing to open up and ask you for advice or those types of things, particularly from you know, what type of things are journalists in those situations or people in the media that you've encountered? Do you have, have people done that with you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things. Um, so I was I was at something at BFI a little while ago wearing a dog collar, not actually. Because I was there in role, but because I'd come straight from a funeral visit, mm. but I ended up talking to some people who work in the film industry, and uh, it was to do that. There was a film in in the mix that was about exorcism, so I then ended up having lots of questions about what the church's view on exorcism is, and what I personally did, and had I ever done an exorcism, and that actually was quite interesting because mm. you know in that world where so many people have you know they've watched The Exorcist, and yeah. so they you know <laughs> they have that idea. So being able to talk about what the church actually believes about you know mm. spiritual matters and you know the fact that every diocese has an an exorcist and yeah. a policy on how to do this so people Are you get, your diocese exorcist? <laughs> no. okay just checking no, <laughs> no. it's important to know. no um but um yeah that you know the church does actually deal with those things mm. um but you know when it's somebody who looks a bit more like I don't know, you know. Just somebody who's out for an evening at the BFI and able to have that conversation. I think it has quite an impact.
0: You're going to be joining us at the Church and Media Conference in October as the the chaplain to the conference, I believe. Yeah. Why is that important to you? Why is that something that you you want to be you know kind of doing? And, and why is it important that we have that?
2: I think um, primarily it's because at a conference, in fact, any kind of gathering like that, often um, questions and issues can come up during the course of the event. And I think it's really helpful to have um, a listening ear available to to talk through those things and pray about them. Um, And I think particularly in the area of media, it's really important because um, there's kind of two sides of it. There are those of us who are people of faith who Pop into the media world sporadically. Mm. It's you know, it's not what I get paid to do. It's something that I've just had calls to do on occasion. But for those who are in it, you know, all the time, I think it can be quite an isolating experience and one where there is a lot of criticism directed. Mm. Uh, so to have somebody who is saying, you know, that day I am your chaplain. You know, come a- and you know, ask questions, come and have prayer. Um, I think is actually a really powerful thing to provide. Mm.
0: What type of thing? Would you think that most of the media professions that you have encountered with struggle with when it comes to prayer? Do you know many Christians that are in the media, for example?
2: Yeah, I mean, actually, my congregation has a number of people who work Mm. in the media. And I think one of the things is around the area of how people view people of faith. So when you think about, um, you know, a lot of the narrative around atheism, particularly around, you know, you must be stupid if you have a faith. If you believe in God, clearly you're less intelligent than somebody who doesn't. And so in the competitive world of media, where people, you know, often are highly educated and, you know, it's a competitive environment, you know, that can often be a negative and people can be quite reluctant to share that they are a Christian. Hmm. Um, so it's it's being alongside them in that, but I think also the fact that people who work in the media, and I mean I, I know a few people who work, um, you know in, in you know really front end journalism, you know current affairs stuff, where they witness quite a lot of traumatic events, and so actually being able to provide support through that is really important too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You're obviously coming to the end of your curacy. You'll be mm-hmm. looking for somewhere this year, I suppose, yeah. to move in into. As you think about having to lead a congregation of your own and stepping into church leadership in a different capacity. Do you wrestle at all with the tension of the need now for doing social media, the kind of press and publicity element of starting a church? How much do you feel like you're stepping into a kind of clerical kind of calling versus being an entrepreneur?
2: It's a really good question. I think that there is quite a lot of overlap between the, the sort of the need to entrepreneur and lead churches. Um, there's there's been a question for a few years with the rise of ordained pioneer ministry about whether there's just a certain group of priests who are pioneers. But I would go more with the idea that all priests should be pioneering in some way. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, as I look ahead to potentially leading my own congregation uh, somewhere, you know, the, it's, it's really difficult because there are so many things that you need to do. What I'm grateful for is I know that I've got some of the skills in terms of social media to be able to, to I don't know, launch something if I needed to. Um, but at the same time I'm aware that different places have different needs as far as that's concerned my current church we haven't got that much of a social media presence it's not really where most of the people are but it's been useful in different things in terms of our local community But I think, you know, there's always new things. I think being open to try something new is really important. And, you know, with media and tech, I think that's quite a good opportunity to do that.
0: Do you feel any particular pressure to be yourself as a personality in that sense, particularly as you step into Mm. not just being a part of a team, but leading something?
2: Yeah, I mean, my my key word for everything to do with with social media and kind of how I try to to work in ministry is about authenticity. So I'm very clear that my authenticity includes being active in social media, Um, it includes being somebody who loves baking cakes, includes being somebody who has a large network of friends and loves to travel that's what makes me me and so actually what i would love is for every member of a congregation that i was leading to also feel that they are able to be authentically who god has created them to be mm-hmm. um, and that it's a safe place in which to do that um and i think it's when we start trying to make ourselves something something that we're not that we get into uh, difficulties
0: So one of the things that you've been recently involved in is some of the demonstrations that have been going on publicly and we've been seeing a number of, particularly in relation to the Trump visit and other things Um, a number of clergy showing up to those things just what's been your experience of that
2: so I decided to go wearing my dog collar mainly to show that not all Christians support Trump and we know that that's not the case in the UK but in the States we know that 80% of American evangelicals voted for Trump Um, and it's kind of like yeah that's not my Bible you know when uh, in everything that's happened recently around the separation of child migrants um, you know the use by John Sessions of uh, Romans 13 press conferences using the Bible to justify things, I really wanted to make a statement that, you know, as a Christian, I do not agree with what's been happening there. So I met with a group of clergy to march together because we, I was really pleased to find sort of safety in numbers. We mm-hmm. didn't know what, exactly what was going to happen, but we felt that that was a good thing to do. So a member of clergy organised that. And we walked together and there was a, a mix. You know, some of us, we were wearing dog collars, but we were wearing different kinds of clothes. Somebody was wearing a cassock. And I guess because the dog collar is still a very... distinctive symbol in British British society. So we did get stopped a few times by journalists wanting to ask questions and by and large that's fine and there was a really lovely group of German journalists who wanted to ask us lots of questions about why we were there. A Swedish journalist who ended up talking to us about the difference between church and state in the UK versus Sweden. But in the midst of all of this somebody that was with us one of the the priests was asked some questions by a chap with a camera and I was involved in a different conversation, but then very quickly picked up that the conversation was not going in the route that all the others were. It was getting into sort of, but why didn't you ever demo against Obama and why are you doing this? And we, re- my friend and I realised that she'd not asked the question of who are you and where are you from? And so we then, sort of with another priest, was trying to sort of skirt the conversation around to something else and get out of that situation. And it showed me just how easy it is for us to get into situations that are uncomfortable and mm. could be used against us the church you know what we were marching for because this guy you know when he was asked where he was from just said youtube and we were kind of right. like right okay so you could be doing whatever you want with this footage um and it's just a reminder that you know whilst there is a benefit with a dog collar that people you know kind of go oh a priest you know let's ask some questions it also can make us targets for those who would seek to use words against what we're saying or what we're trying to do yeah Um, it was quite a valuable lesson and and also demonstrates the importance for all of us to know what's the best thing to do in those situations
0: is is it purely down to that there needs to just be more media training for priests overall because everyone that walks down the street with a dog collar you know we saw last year obviously in the wake of the grenfell tower incident particularly Mm -hmm. that you know people of faith, and particularly faith leaders, were suddenly being put on camera left, right and centre, and not all of them would have been prepared for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, we get a certain amount right at the beginning, um, and it varies diocese by diocese, but... I know that I've really benefited from some of the training that I've had. And like, to be honest, I would still like to have more because there's still things I don't feel as confident in. But yeah, you're right. The, the fact that we make a point of walking around in dog collars means that we need to know how to respond. And to be honest, that could be anything from somebody putting uh, a camera in our face to asking really difficult questions or being abusive but you know you never know what, what's going to happen so there's something around preparing us better for those situations and because in the
0: age of social media in particular you are kind of constantly available and yeah. always on in that sense
2: yes and also the fact that you know we know how easy it is for something to go viral so um, it, this is a really uh, a silly example but when I'm wearing my dog collar I never sit in a priority seat on the tube because I I don't want to be the person who's got their eyes kind of stuck in their book or on their phone who misses a pregnant woman who wants to sit down and all it would t- you know is bad enough that the pregnant woman might go oh there's a vicar and they're not even standing up but if somebody was to then capture that on camera or you know do yeah. something that went on social media and went viral It would be horrific, and it's such a silly thing. And you know, I now make a point of you know sitting way away from them. Yeah, but but
0: we've seen people sitting on the floors of trains in protests. (laughs) So you know, sometimes these things do go viral for that reason. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I wonder if actually other clergy. Also feel this pressure of yeah. You know, when I talk to people about you know how private should I be or you know kind of like how should I use social media in yeah. particular, I always tell them that you're just one screenshot away from yeah. downfall. Right? Is yeah. it just because you think it's happening in private in a mm-hmm. direct message or something like that? Yeah. It's really not. Yeah. Do you think that there is a, a good enough understanding of that? paradigm yet within the within those who are kind of in full-time ministry?
2: I think it's getting better. But the thing that really upsets me with social media in the church is how happy we are to fight within ourselves. Um, I've seen that just this week. I mean, we all know that there are major divisive issues in the church. We don't seem to care that there are other people who watch those Battles raging in a public forum um, and you know even you know, even if it's not on Twitter if it's in a seemingly private Facebook group you know, are screenshotting but there's also just the the, the watching yeah. you know kind of going oh well they're arguing well, if there are a load of Christians arguing with each other mm. you know what does that say about the church
0: yeah and, and it's not to say that there's not a place for healthy debates Absolutely. but it's that thing of playing out our dirty laundry in public yes. <laughs> yeah. that doesn't help um, with the general perception yeah issues yeah i do want do you kind of see any way that we can help fix that
2: i don't know i think a better understanding of how those forums work would be helpful Um, So people are increasingly aware that Twitter isn't the place to have those debates. You know, the extension of the word limit, the the character limit has helped, um, but not necessarily. I mean, you know, (laughs) 280 characters. More
0: space (laughs) to argue in, basically. Yeah.
2: And, you know, I've, I've been really impressed with a friend of mine recently who got into a debate with an atheist on Twitter who was being quite strident with her. And she ended up saying, well, do you know what? Why don't you come to dinner? and we can have a conversation face-to-face. Mm. And I think that is actually the, the trick, is, is about how to take things to a forum where you can have healthy conversation and debate, because we, we should be able to do that. And it's just recognising what the limitations are of those spaces that we're inhabiting.
0: Just to kind of bring the subject back to, to prayer, and we're kind of coming, obviously, towards the National Day of Prayer for the Media... Uh, as well as also the, the the church media conference, where we'll be you know, kind of focusing on subjects around prayer. Do you think that there is enough attention being paid, you know, within the kind of community of the, the media to the role that prayer can play in the way in which that they can actually shape their daily experience of of doing everyday life?
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's there's always room for improvement as as far as that kind of thing goes. But to be honest, I mean, every Christian will probably always say they don't feel they pray enough. I think what is interesting is the way in which the church has developed new ways to help people pray, whether whether you're in the media or not. So, you know, the development of the apps for, for daily prayer has been really important in terms of people commuting and praying as they go and alongside that the role of social media in kind of articulating that people do pray Mm. so i have friends who might on their commute into work say i'm gonna be doing morning prayer in 10 minutes can i pray for you you know tweet me any prayer requests um and i think just making it part of the conversation is really important and not being afraid to say that you are a person of prayer and you know is there something that i can pray for Mm. Um, I think also it's it's about um, I don't know. There's a conversation to be had around how we pray together, um, and whether that's us all using the same form of prayers or if it's us coming together as groups. I think there's there's a real help in like-minded individuals praying together. Um, I benefit greatly from a a group of women that uh, we meet face to face every couple of months but we have a whatsapp group that shares pro requests as we go and you know our unifying thing is that we're all young women in positions of leadership but you know i could see the mileage in you know groups of people who work in the same field doing a similar thing so that they know even when they are physically on their own they're not on their own
0: yeah so staying connected through those small groups absolutely is there anything that you would share just as we kind of wrap up on this around what you pray for the media in general, in the macro sense? What, what do you, what are you talking to God about, asking for how things might change?
2: At the moment, my really big thing, I guess, just given the current uh, climate that we're in, is praying for the media to be able to tell the truth. So whether that is... You know, literally being able to report what is actually happening. Um, It's praying for groups of people. I mean, there was a very powerful photograph recently of a press room with photos of Russian journalists who had been killed. Um, You know, people who really do put their lives on the line so that we know what is happening somewhere. So that's, that's a big thing for me. So almost as if... Well, in fact, they are. The media are something of a prophetic voice in our society. And I think all of that needs to be covered by prayer, To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com dot weight loss.
0: thanks there to liz for taking the time out to connect with us i hope you found that quite useful you can obviously connect with liz on social media and i'm sure that you'll also be coming along to the church and media conference in october to hear her sitting on the panel and talking about prayer for the media now it is time for our recommendation segments and i've got something sam's got something so we'll spin the dice and well no it looks like sam's gonna go first (laughs) sam what are you recommending this month
1: well, normally, James, you recommend things on uh, this show, and uh, a couple of weeks later, you might see me. You say, you know, start talking about it. I'm like, oh, what's that? And you say, Sam, I literally sat opposite you on the podcast and recommended this, and you haven't <laughs> gone away and looked at it. And I have to hold my hands and say, oh, James, I'm so, so sorry. The good news is this time, um, you suggest something to me again a couple of weeks ago, and this time I actually went away and I downloaded it. It is a podcast, and I have listened to one episode, so it's an early recommendation, but so far, so great. This is a podcast where they follow. Um, Uh, Well, some tech people, really, people in a tech background in America, follow church planters. And uh, it's basically looking at the idea of church planting is a form of kind of, is similar in the way that tech companies will start up. And it's amazing how much the language, um, you know, we call them a a pastor or a pioneer or whatever, and the tech companies have their own tech lingo for it. But it's basically a similar kind of concept, isn't
0: it? That's right. It's a really interesting show. So this is actually one of a a kind of mini season from the podcast Startup by Gil. Gimlet. For those of you that might be familiar with Gimlet, they've produced a whole range of different shows. They are a podcasting only company based over in Brooklyn, in New York. Um, I've actually been out to visit them a couple of times and they've got a really interesting setup. They are trying to kind of become the HBO of podcasting, which I think is a really interesting ambition if you talk to either Matt Lieber or Alex Bloomberg, the two founders of the company. And the startup podcast originally started as a way of them documenting the story of Matt and Alex making Gimlet, which was a rather meta thing to be doing. But subsequently then they've gone on to look about shows of what it's like to start a business and this is where they jumping off point into church planting is really interesting because they draw this fantastic comparison between the, the dichotomy between being a church planter doing something in a missional context with being an entrepreneur which I think is just a fascinating kind of mm-hmm. um, you know look at what it looks like to launch a church um, for the first time particularly in America uh, they cite a number of people that many of the listeners uh, to the show will be familiar with uh, there are clips in there from uh, Pastor of Elevation Church, Stephen fertick from people like Craig Rochelle at Life Church. Obviously, we've had a number of the, the Life Church team on the podcast in previous months. So, yeah, it's really fascinating to see them blend these two ideas mm. of entrepreneurialism and church planting. Yep. What, what did you take from that? Yeah,
1: and it, I think people often are a little bit nervous. They talk about, well, we shouldn't be bringing kind of secular business principles into the church. But someone once pointed out to me, which I thought was quite good, is actually we need to flip it around the other way and how often very good business principles you can argue are good kind of biblical worldview principles. Um, so, for example, you know when when tech people or when companies talk about uh, creating a, a good wholesome environment to, to work in and make sure that your employees are happy, they'll be more productive. You think, well, you know that's a fundamental idea of loving people well right and jesus kind of came up with that before your nice tech startup thing so sometimes i think there's i mean maybe that's not the best example in the world but all i'm trying to say is i think there's less distance sometimes between good business principles and good church planning principles than than either side would like to admit and i just think so far i'm only one episode in but so far this podcast is doing a really interesting it is drawing out that idea in a really interesting way and not just playing these two things off against each other but saying well what can we kind of learn from each other here and don't be be some differences but quite early on a church is trying to build itself up using tools like MailChimp Um, so yeah like I say these are these are tools that, that churches should be unashamed in using. I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he really does kind of dig into all of those kind of tips and techniques that go into launching a church, um, but also the kind of controversy of being a major figure in a church, the reaction of congregants that come into it, and the whole element of which something I didn't really even think about, but the idea of angel investors that are you know willing to put in yeah, massive amounts of money to so launching true. a church, which um, you know if you are trying to get raised money for an existing one, you're not going to be able to find, but if you're going to launch a new church, wow, there's money to be have particularly in certain parts of America. So the podcast is Startup. Uh, Eric Menel is the uh, host, and here's a small clip of just what Eric found when he began to t- start talking about this idea of church planting. This is the, from the first episode of Startup uh, Church Planting. It's called The Movement.
1: Two guys standing in front of a church who won't go in. It's a real problem for Christianity. The percentage of people who say they're going to church continues to drop in the U.S. for the last few decades. And to try to solve this problem, to save the faith, a movement of pastors, mostly evangelicals, are turning to the part of America perhaps most obsessed with growth, Silicon Valley. Every year, thousands of pastors start new churches from scratch. They call them church plants. And what has arisen as a world remarkably parallel to the tech industry, with investors and incubators and growth metrics, but for Jesus?
0: So if you want to check out that show, Startup, it's uh, in its multiple seasons now, you can go check it out on all of the usual places you'll find Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hopefully wherever you got this podcast. And while you're there trying to download that, we would really appreciate it if you jumped into your Apple Podcasts feed, scroll down and leave us a review, a rating. Not just Apple, other... All other... podcast applications are available, but the Apple Podcast one is quite important is um, it? because it helps. You know, this is something that people don't know. Maybe I this is an interesting this. media topic is that it really does help set the barometer for you know, kind for of everyone getting else. everyone else. So really? um, yeah, so their their their, their, their reviews do kind of Every help. Every
1: day is a school day
0: so if you are uh, listening to the show we would love it if you would leave us a review and a rating obviously an unbiased five star opinion Um, would be fantastic yeah
1: about how me and James are great and Ruth's terrible
0: yeah she'll be back soon Um, we miss you Ruth hope you're doing well she's uh, currently uh, probably enjoying the sunshine (laughs) uh, down at New Wine uh, this week Focus oh she's at Focus okay so she's at one of the many Christian conferences other Christian conferences are available so um, my recommendation for this month uh, a slight shift in gears um, but an interesting one because it kind of leads off of this idea of church planting and business and taking the idea of Christian ethics into business so my recommendation for this month is a book that I have just got started on but I am absolutely loving I think it's amazing amount of principles it's all about this idea of building a culture of honour and it's by the author Danny Silk Danny is one of the pastors at Bethel Church in America on the west coast um, and he wrote, originally wrote a book a number of years ago called Culture of Honour which was this idea of, of what a lot of the uh, preaching and teaching is there about Bethel about building this idea of honouring one another um, in our leadership and he's now written a new book that translates all of that into a business context really based upon a lot of uh, requests from other people to help have him do this he does it actually in companionship with uh, another author Bob Hassan and it's really all this idea about laying out a pathway for living this idea of honour and culture um, and bringing it into business which I think for many of us who are working out there in the kind of business world we all work in businesses in one context or another be sole entrepreneurs freelancers or we're interacting with businesses all the time this idea of actually putting you know kind of a lot more heart back into the way in which we do business um is a fantastic read so i really recommend it you can go get that on amazon it's available in audiobook and also on the kindle so if you are interested in that idea of you know how do you kind of bring more of a culture of honor back into your workplace this is probably a good recommendation for you cool well that brings it to the end of the main segment of the show and we're going to play out this time with a really great little prayer for you we've got obviously the day of prayer for the media coming up in just a few weeks time um and we also will be talking about this subject with liz who you heard earlier on in the show at the uh, church and media conference happening in october so we thought who better than to pray us out than someone that's actually working in the media every day and that is our good friend mr tim lavelle tim is a bbc radio five live journalist and producer Worked there for many years, and Tim has given us a great prayer for the media. So, as we close out this month's show, here is Tim Lavelle with a prayer for the media.
1: Dear Lord, thank you that with the summer upon us, this is hopefully a season when many of us working in the media manage to get a break. We know how hard so many in the media work long hours, unsocial hours, intensive work patterns they're all a feature of this profession that we love. But we also know that rest is vital for all of us. You rested on the seventh day. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. We pray that those listening to this will have a chance to get away from it all, recharge their batteries, and maybe even reconnect with creation and the God who made it all. And for those continuing through the summer, perhaps in the hope of a break soon afterwards, give them the energy to persevere. And thank you for the work that they
0: are doing. In your name we ask all this. Amen. Thanks there to Tim and thanks to Sam for joining me in the studio. Lovely to have you back, matey. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, James. And it's good to have all of you along for the ride with us. You can find out more about The MediaNet at themedianet.org, where Faith and Media meets. And we would look forward to the conference. If you still haven't got your tickets, you can still do that. It's just a couple of days left to get the early bird rate if you're listening to this when the podcast drops. If not, you can still get tickets. There are a few available as well. We would love to see you there. And don't forget about the new monthly meetups that are going to be happening as well. The first of which on the 10th of September at Tog Studios in Langham Place. You can find out more about that as well on themedianet.org and all of our social media sites such as Twitter which is at The and use the hashtag Signal if you want to give us feedback to the show. You can also email signal at themedianet.org if you want to get in touch with Sam, myself and Ruth if you've got any feedback for the show and as I said before we'd love it if you would give us a rating a review. We mm, kind of like five stars I think is right five to say. Is yeah. five, five is good. If there was six I'm sure you would give it but that's not an option so we'd love a review and rating from you it really does help with people getting a touch of the show and maybe if you know someone that you can send the show to why not do that as well just grab the podcast app that you're listening to right now and send it on to someone as an encouragement give someone else the opportunity to get in touch with media and faith which is what we do here at the media Net and here on signal so for now for the month of july this is signal from the media thanks for joining us from me james poulter and
1: me sam hells farewell